I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report went about Him throughout all the surrounding county. And He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath and the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Pray with me. Lord, I ask that you would speak tonight. This is a great text. It's one that we go to over and over and over. I pray that you would teach us what it means through the power of your Spirit. I I ask that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, let your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We've been going through the um, book of Luke. In the book of Luke, it starts off Um, being dedicated to a man named Theophilus. And Luke tells him, he says, I'm writing these things that you might have certainty about what you believe. And then so he he tells all about the birth of Jesus, about Jesus growing up as a boy and 
And then we see Jesus being baptized. We see Jesus being tempted. And we looked at those temptations last week. And now we see Jesus preach for the first time. And it's very strategic that Luke puts this here because he wants you to see all of the rest of Luke through this lens. What Jesus preaches here is what he does through the rest of Luke. This is gospel ministry according to Jesus. Jesus, he travels all throughout. He traveled all throughout Galilee preaching in all of these local synagogues. And people are just blown away. I mean, nobody's ever heard somebody preach like Jesus has been preaching. Empowered by the Spirit. And he finally, he comes back to his hometown, Nazareth. And, and it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. And, and that little line there, as was his custom, is, is something that I've been just, just chewing on for a while. And I never really noticed this. But this is pretty incredible. Jesus went to synagogue every week. It was his custom. Now, let me try to put this in perspective. Uh, there's um, a former professor of mine, professor of church history and theology. He occasionally, he will come to Redeemer. And he, the last time he came, I was, I was giving kind of a history lesson on Caesar Augustus at one point. And I look up and I see him and the man's written books on this. Um, he was at Beeson and now he's a professor at Cambridge. And, you know, he's, he's written exhaustively on this. His uh, textbooks are used as a standard in many seminaries across the world. And there he is. And I just felt incredibly awkward. I mean, just, oh my gosh. And I kept thinking, don't plagiarize. What did he say? Make sure that I'm not plagiarized. Make sure I get it right. He's got to be bored out of his mind. Think of Jesus going to synagogue. You have the living word there hearing people teach about what he wrote teach about things concerning him, and he's sitting there, and you know they're getting it wrong. You know week after week he's hearing things that he disagrees with. Yet he goes to synagogue, as was his custom. It's a lot of humility there, humility that is hard to come by. Uh, Jesus thought it was so important for him to be with the people of God. For him to sing songs with the people of God. For him to read scripture with the people of God. That Jesus went. I mean, I know that there's, you know, some people here. And I'll put myself in this camp. You know, you you, you hear a preacher say something slightly wrong. I think, you know, actually you parse that Greek verb wrong. And I want to just shut them off. We've left churches for a lot less reasons. Jesus went to synagogue every week. Don't just, don't just slip by that. He thought it was important to be with the community of God. And Jesus, he's coming to his hometown synagogue. And this is, this is a special occasion right here. I mean, he's been traveling all around Galilee. He's been preaching. Man, he is famous at this point. What he's been doing, nobody has ever seen him do. What he's been preaching, nobody has seen preaching like this. And so now he comes back to this little teeny town of Nazareth, and he is the homeboy hero. Homeboy made good, right here. Jesus. And I'm sure at this time at the synagogue, people are flocking. Jesus is coming here. 
So I'm sure the synagogues are pretty small, so I'm sure it's packed. I'm sure nobody could get through the front door. I'm sure people are looking in at the windows in anticipation to the local hero coming back to preach. And when it comes time for the haftarah, which is the part of the service where they read from the the prophets, the attendant, he gets the scroll of Isaiah and he hands it to Jesus to give us a brief lesson on the prophets. And Jesus unrolls the scroll to Isaiah 61, which is a text about the Messiah and the kingdom of God. And he unrolls it and he reads this. And let's read it again in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so He reads that and He rolls back up the scroll He hands it to the attendant, and then he sits down to teach. Now, in this day, teachers sat down. Everybody stood for the reading of the Word, and then the teacher would sit down to to teach. Often, the congregation would stay standing the entire time, which we could bring back. But the teacher would sit down, and it says he sat down, and all eyes are on him. And he gives one of the shortest sermons in history. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, he probably said a little more than this because Luke says he began to say this. But this is the meat of it. This is the thrust. What you've just heard is now being fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. The Messiah is here in your midst. This is happening. And as a preacher, Jesus nailed it. I mean, He nailed it. We would say He brought it. He absolutely brought it. And everybody there, they're they're marveling at His words and His gracious words. And the, the sermon couldn't have gone any better. But as Jesus is looking out into this crowd that He knows, He has known for 30 years, He knows them well, He knows, He can read their faces. He realizes they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't believe any of it. I mean, these people have grown up with Jesus. They've seen Jesus do household chores. They've seen him do, you know, his carpentry, go to the grocery store. They've, they've rubbed shoulders with Jesus. They've, some of them, I'm sure, went to school with him. Some, I'm sure, taught him. I'm sure when this was all over, you know, he probably got somebody to come up and, you know, maybe even pinch his cheeks and say, Jesus, I used to babysit you. I'm so proud of you. You did so good. You did so good. This happens, you know, when uh, occasionally I'll get to preach in my hometown back in Atlanta. And I found that when I go there, often I'm angry. And uh, I, I preach just as hard as I possibly can. And, uh, and afterwards, no matter what I say, people just come up and they almost want to rub your head and go, you're so sweet. <laughs> you're so, that was so good. And I'm thinking, you didn't hear anything. You heard nothing. They're proud of him for being such a good speaker, but they didn't get his message. 
They're, they're thinking the kingdom of God can't come through such ordinary means. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we've seen you just go through ordinary life. Does the kingdom of God really work its way through like carpentry and doing chores and going to the grocery store? Really, is the kingdom of God a part of that? And Jesus, who looks at all their faces and, and he can see their disbelief, he decides now to officially bring it. And not the kind where you hear a preacher preaching and you're like, bring it, amen. No, he brings it and they want to kill him. That kind of bring it. Because he looks out there and he knows that because they liked the sermon, they didn't understand it. Because they liked the sermon, they didn't understand it. Because when the gospel goes forward, it's going to have two effects. And one of them isn't going to be you like it. When the gospel goes forward, you are either going to, it's either going to bring about repentance and faith, or you're going to absolutely be filled with wrath. It's either going to bring about repentance and faith, or you're going to be filled with with wrath and anger. That's what the gospel message does. It's going to have one of those two effects. You're never going to understand the gospel and walk away and say, what a nice message. It's going to have one of those two effects. So as people, you know, are rubbing Jesus' head and pinching his cheeks and all that, he's thinking, he's like, oh, I'm going to have to make sure there's clarity. And then he says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to ask me to do the same miracles that I did in Capernaum. That's what you're going to ask of me. I know what you're thinking. Anybody can say these gracious words. Back it up. And if you notice... Jesus says, says, you're going to ask to do what we have heard you did in Capernaum. He doesn't say what you did, but what we heard you did. He knows that the people don't even believe the reports that are coming back to them. But Jesus here, he doesn't put on a show. He doesn't just start doing miracles. He's already dealt with that temptation right before when, uh, when Satan said, come on. Put on a show. Throw yourself off of this uh, temple mount here. Throw yourself off and let angels save you. Do something spectacular. Jesus said, no. Ironically, now the people are going to take him to a cliff and try to throw him off, in which God will miraculously save him. He's not going to do it here. And so Jesus, he tells them two stories to flesh out the sermon that they just heard. Two stories that are going to bring clarity. And the first one comes from 1 Kings 17 about a little widow. It's a story about um, the prophet Elijah, and God spoke through the prophet Elijah, and there was a great famine in the land. It didn't rain for three and a half years, and God told Elijah, I want you to go, not to any place in Israel, but go to this outside place and find a widow there in another country. Take care of her. And so Elijah left all of the widows that were in Israel, and he went to a Gentile woman. And in this story, the widow, it's amazing, she actually gives Elijah the last bit of food she has without asking for a sign. Are you really a prophet? Show me. Prove it, and then I'll give you all I have. This Gentile woman just gives it to him. And she says, now I'm just going to go and die. Jesus then tells the story of Naaman, who's this commander in the army of the king of Syria. Syria that had just conquered Israel. 
taken many of the Israelites off to be slaves. Uh, to kind of put this in um, something you might understand, it'd be the equivalent of, of God sending a prophet, and this was a prophet, Elisha, if you were a Jew, to go and take care of a commander in the Nazi regime. I want you to go to the Nazi regime and I want you to, to take care of one of the commanders there, which is what God did. And here you find Naaman who has leprosy and he comes and he humbles himself. He dips himself seven times in the Jordan River just because the prophet told him to and he's healed. Now when the people hear these two stories, they're filled with wrath, which is really unusual. They've heard these stories before. These are not new stories. They believed these stories. It's in their Bible. But nobody's ever applied it like this. Nobody's ever looked at them and said, you know what, you're in danger of being like all those Israelites who don't believe. And salvation might just pass you by and go someplace else. Fill them with rage. They understood the gospel. And so they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, and you really don't know what happened. I kind of picture Obi-Wan Kenobi just kind of saying, like, you know, I I am not the one you're looking for. And he just kind of, he just walks through their midst, and he escapes miraculously. I mean, think of, this is a man they've seen grown up. They've never seen somebody so loving as Jesus, so filled with compassion, so kind. They knew Him. And they wanted to kill Him because of this. Let's take a closer look at exactly at this, this message that made them so violent. There, there's a lot you can pull from here, and we're just going to look at a couple of things. One of the things that Jesus declared is that the kingdom of God is for all people, not for Israel. It's one of the first things they would have gotten for that. The kingdom of God is for all people and not just for the Jews. The church is to be filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Christianity is not tied down to any culture. America does not have this stronghold on Christianity. A few years ago, um, I read in the paper that um, there's going to be a monster truck rally at the BJCC that day. So I thought, I'm going to go. I'm going to take Caroline, my, uh, my little five-year-old at the time. And, and uh, so we went. I figured it was going to be a cultural experience. And, and the, the ironic thing there, that, or at least it was funny, we, at the same time at one of the other um, theaters there, Annie was playing. The play Annie was playing. And so you had all of these fathers bringing their daughters, going into Annie. And then I go, and like, no, no, dear, no, no, we're going to the monster truck rally. <laughs> and so we go to the monster truck rally. And, uh, yeah, I wanted her to see Gravedigger. And, and, and so we, uh, we, we're at this, the very start of the rally, and, and the drivers are standing on their hoods as the engines are all cranked and roaring. And, uh, and then the, the American flag is unfurled, and... There's this strange blend of like redneck, patriotism, God, and Jesus all blended together. The announcers get up there and they say, we live in the greatest country God ever made, America. 
And, 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 they're, and they're like, this is a good old Christian boy. He's going to do this. And it was this weird blending of the two. To be American means you are God-fearing and you drive a Chevy. And it's like both of those things together. And Caroline kept saying, Daddy, they're such bad drivers. Why are we here? (laughs) You know, for a long time, Americans have confused being American with being Christian. Other cultures have confused what it means to be Christian with, with being American. What? You know, isn't America just Christian? We send missionaries over to Africa and we teach them how to be good little Baptists or Presbyterians. You know, well, first thing you need is a brick building. Steeple. All right, you got that. Um, You need hymnals. No, 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 no. None none of that wild dancing. You got to, no, you got to sing through a hymnal, be calm, be reverent. Dress, wear a tie, and we make them good little Baptists or Presbyterians. Christianity should not work like that. It's not bound to a culture. God is glorified in every culture. As a matter of fact, when Christianity hits a culture, it does not change the basic heart of that culture. It teaches Africans to be true Africans, to do what they were actually made to do, which is to praise Jesus Christ. It teaches Aborigines to be true Aborigines. To praise God in their own culture. Because every tongue, tribe, and culture is for the glory of God. And so Jesus is telling these, these Jews that the Messiah has not come just to save them. It's going to go to other countries. And they're ticked. It's the reason they stoned Stephen. It's one of the reasons they almost killed Paul was for the same thing. But what angered these people more than this is when Jesus said, and the kingdom of God belongs to the poor, the blind, the captives, and the oppressed. When the gospel goes forth, those who are spiritually poor are going to become rich. Those who are spiritually blind are going to see Jesus as King. Those who are in bondage to sin are going to be now delivered from this. And I think it's right to primarily see these things as spiritual and not as physical. And you know me, that we've been preaching a lot about helping the poor. Always in the, in the community and the poor. I don't think that's primarily what this text is about. I don't. In Revelation, Jesus told the Laodiceans, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind. Naked. The gospel's good news to those who recognize their own spiritual poverty. Those who realize they can't save themselves. Now, often the spiritually poor are the physically poor. Because the physically poor are used to handouts, they're used to help, which is grace. And they can receive the gospel more readily. Now, the, the reason that this is terrible news to these people of Nazareth is because they're what I would call the spiritual middle class. They're the spiritual middle class, uh, which is the hardest people to reach. They're the religious people. Uh, you know, you read through Luke, find every time Jesus teaches on the Sabbath or teaches in a synagogue. Go through, find every time. Never once does it not end in controversy. 
Never once does it not end with people getting angry. When Jesus preaches on the Sabbath or he goes to a church, the religious are ticked. Because they're the, middle, they're the spiritual middle class. They think, you know, we, we've done right. We go to church. We read our Bible. We're good moral people. God, you owe us. We've worked for this. They expect a, God to just pay them back. That's what these people were. They, they remind me of the elder brother, which we'll look at in a few months, the story of the prodigal sons and that the elder brother, you know, says, Father, I have served you for all these years. I've worked hard. I've done all of this. You owe me. You can't rejoice at the salvation of somebody who has squandered. Somebody's thrown away all this wealth. You cannot rejoice in that. These Jews are furious that God's grace would reach even a Gentile widow or some pagan commander before ever reaching them. They've worked for it. I've got a lot of the elder brother in me. I think probably a lot of us here struggle with being part of the spiritual middle class. It manifests itself with me in a lot of ways. Um, I'm down in Woodlawn a lot, and you know, people come up all the time and ask for money, and and, and you just know, you know, give money, somebody's going to go and just waste it, buy you know a pack of cigarettes or, or alcohol or whatever, and you just you get so angry. Because you think, I, I work hard and I don't waste the things I've been given. I've made the most of who I am. You don't see yourself as needing just as much grace as they do. You think you're so much better. I do. I feel that a lot of times with theological superiority. Superiority. You know, gosh, you know, I, I've, I've come to really understand and believe these things. Therefore... I know God a lot better. God blesses, going to bless me a lot more. Not realizing that I'm wretched. I'm wretched. If these Nazarenes here want to receive grace, they have to come and see themselves as poor. They have to see themselves as being spiritually bankrupt. They're blind. They cannot see the Messiah standing right in front of them. They're captive to sin. They're going to have to admit they're no better than that poor Gentile or Naaman, that commander. And this is very hard for religious people to do. Now look at that last verse in 19. That that, that one phrase... Because I think this one phrase really sheds light on everything that Jesus is trying to communicate to these religious people, the spiritual middle class. You know, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in your Bible, likely there's a period after favor. Favor, period, which is a travesty. It should be comma. It's a comma there. You go back to Isaiah 61, and you're not going to have a period there. It says, uh, in Isaiah 61, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 
and the day of vengeance of our Lord. You never stopped a sentence midway through. I really think when Jesus is reading this and says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he rolls up the scroll, that's one of the reasons why everybody's leaning forward and says all eyes are fixed on him. They're like, they cut it, he cut it short. That's the part we like is when God judges all those bad people. Like, well, you don't do that. And what he is saying, he's actually, he's, he's teaching to people that there's actually going to be two times I come. One time is going to be for grace. Next time I come is for judgment. But now we are living in the day of salvation. Now this is the age of grace. Don't refuse that. Judgment is not coming on you this time. Judgment is coming on me this time. The reason that you know, the, the, the poor, spiritually poor, are going to become rich and the blind are going to see and the captives are going to be set free is because I am going to take on all of that. All of the punishment and the, the, the vengeance that is due to those immoral people. I'm going to take it all on myself this time. That's what the Messiah does. That's the good news. That's the grace and salvation that's offered even to a people like that widow or to Naaman or to these people here. And they just didn't get it. Feels pretty good to, uh, to live a life where you could constantly pat yourself on the back. You could constantly, you know, always kind of throw stones at others. You're so much better. I'm so much better than that. And it makes it impossible to receive grace. We need to come to God acknowledging that we are the poor if we want the Messiah to come to us. We are the blind if we want Him to come to us. We are the ones captive to our sin if we want Him to come to us. And that's the good news that Jesus preaches if we will just receive it. Pray with me. Lord, I pray two things right now. One, that we would receive this good news. Most of us in this room are pretty religious. And yes, it's interesting, every time we read your word, we always identify with Jesus and not the people you talk to, the religious. Lord, show us we're broken, blind, and bound. And may we receive the good news of grace. Lord, I also pray that we would be instruments of this grace, that we would go and find those who are poor and blind and oppressed, both physically and spiritually, and we would share the gospel. That you have taken the punishment we all deserve. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your salvation. We pray this in your name. Amen.